Welcome, church, to episode 12 of our summer series in the book of Romans. And the title of the sermon today is Lives on Fire. I want to ask a question of you, and that is this. Are you in a place where you are spiritually searching? Maybe you're looking for direction or for purpose. And so you're coming to Crossbridge. You're joining us now for church to seek and try to understand and ascertain direction. Or maybe you just feel like you've lost your passion. Maybe you have, are a person of faith. You have given your life to Jesus. You believed in Jesus for many, many years, decades even. But you're struggling to ignite any passion. You feel stagnant. It feels at times like you're just going through the motions when you pray, or when you read God's word, or when you go to church. Or maybe there's times on Sunday afternoon when you're thinking, I have church at five o'clock, and time and time again, you're debating on whether or not you should go. You've lost the joy of gathering. Or maybe if you're joining online and you can't make it physically to an in-person service, you think to yourself, do I really need to be there at 5 p.m.? Can I just listen to the service or to the sermon sporadically throughout the week during my commute? It's so easy for us to fall into a place in our spiritual life where we're stagnant, where we're stuck. And one of the things that makes it difficult for us is that if you've come to faith in Christ, you have the memories of what it was like when you gave your life to Jesus, when you called out to him, as we said last week, and you found yourself saved and forgiven. You think about the joy that you had to gather with God's people. You think about the excitement it was to dive into God's word. You're like reading the text with eyes wide open. The passion that you had for other people to know about who Jesus is and what he's done and the gift of salvation available to all. I remember when I was in college, which is when I became a Christian, I started working for a, a Christian t-shirt company that sold these t-shirts in Lifeway Christian Bookstore. And uh, I wore shirts for them. And I, I, I'll never forget the memory of walking through Florida State's campus wearing a bright orange Christian t-shirt that said, F is for forgiveness. I look back now, I was like, that was completely God. That I'm walking around Florida State, brand new Christian. I'm just so passionate. I'm on fire for God. And I'm wearing F is for forgiveness, walking around the campus. I have one Christian t-shirt now, and I'm actually wearing it right now. It's a little bit similar, but more snarky. It says, try Jesus, not me, because I throw hands. I, I, things have changed. But I look back on that passion and I want to experience that again, that joy to live on fire. And you know, one of the things that we're seeing right now in our world is that it is in fact on fire. It has felt like that for almost two years now. Division, destruction, despair, hostility, anger, slander, disaster, tragedy. 
So many of these things are marking the experience of so many in the world, including many of us. It feels like the world is on fire. And you see, God has called us as his church and as his people, despite what may be taking place in the world, is to live our lives on fire, to offer the hope of the gospel, to share the beauty of who God is and his love and his mercy available to all. John Wesley, very famous pastor, has a quote about this, and here's what he says. He says, light yourself on fire with passion. And people will come from miles to watch you burn. You see, he's speaking about engaging in your relationship with God, devoting yourself to God in prayer and through his word so that you might be lit on fire and people will come from miles to watch you burn because the world is looking for answers. And we have the answer And so here's what I want to say to you. Do not settle for spiritually smoldering. Do not settle to be in a place of stagnation in your spiritual life and in your faith. You are not made to be stagnant or to smolder. God has called you and he has in fact created you to be on fire for him. And that's what we read about here in Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul wants to tell us to live lives on fire for God. So he says this in verse 1 through 2. We're just dealing with two verses tonight. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the very beginning, there's a very important word for you to grab onto, and that is the word, therefore. So he starts out in Romans chapter 12, he says, Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. So he's saying, in light of everything I have already said in the first 11 chapters, here is how you are called to live. In light of what we have already looked at throughout this summer in God's word here in the book of Romans, that you have died to sin, but you are alive to God in Christ, that you are made righteous, that there is no condemnation in Christ. That God loves you and he is for you. And as we saw last week, that you are called to be a messenger. That the movement towards other people with the gospel message of Jesus is beautiful. In light of all of these things, here is how you are to live. Here's what the entirety of your life should look like. In light of all of this, therefore, you are to present. But even before he tells us what we are to do, he gives us the motivation. And it's really important that we understand this. In light of everything that we've already read, chapter 1 through 11, in light of the grace of God and our salvation, we are to, by his mercies, present ourselves. Notice he says that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. You see, he wants to give us the motivation 
before he even tells us what we are to do so that we are rooted correctly because he has been saying to us that God's grace is wider and more deep and profound than we could ever imagine, that we cannot earn it, that is a gift to us. In fact, that salvation is dependent upon God himself. Therefore, in light of God's mercy, we are to give our lives as sacrifice. But that statement, by his mercies, the mercies of God is so crucial for us to understand because it means this. It means our motivation to do what the Apostle Paul is about to say is because of freedom and not fear. That we are motivated to do what he's about to say because we are free, not because we're living under fear. We should know that after reading the first 11 chapters. But so many times, we live out our Christian life in fear. It's easy to do that. To look at the ways that you're struggling and the temptations you fall into and the brokenness in your life and in the world and, and fall captive to fear. Fear that God is going to judge you. Fear that God is angry. Fear that God will withhold blessings from you and curse you instead. Fear that God will strip you of your salvation. And so you live based upon fear. The Apostle Paul wants to remind us that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it actually roots out fear. Remember, he says, therefore, everything I've said, that there's no condemnation in Christ because Christ was condemned for you, that you are made righteous and God sees you as such, and that you are loved by God, and nothing can separate you from the love of God, including yourself. Sometimes we forget that. The promise is that nothing can separate you from God's love. That includes you, which means you cannot lose your salvation. You do not live the Christian life motivated by fear. You're called to live in freedom. Because of his mercies, you are to what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In freedom, you present your body as a living sacrifice. And see here, as he starts to tell us what we are to do, he brings up this imagery of the temple sacrificial system. And in the temple, which was known by those in the church, certainly the Jews, but the Greeks would have understood this as well because the temple in Jerusalem was famous, there are two types of offerings. One is a sin offering. A sin offering was where an animal's blood was shed to pay for the sins of the people and to bring about forgiveness. So it was brought to the altar, the blood was shed, and then it, the, the prayer and the hope was that God would forgive. Why? Because sin deserves death, and therefore to satisfy God's justice, blood must be shed for forgiveness. But 
This is not the sacrifice that Paul has in mind when he he speaks about presenting your body as a sacrifice because we know that Jesus was the ultimate and final sin offering. That he gave his life and shed his blood on the cross so that we might live. So that death no longer reigns like a dark cloud over our lives. So that we don't need to be fearful of God's wrath. And we don't have to offer any type of sin offering because Jesus was offered as the ultimate and final sin offering for us. Romans has spoken about this. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews in the New Testament is about this. So there's a second type of offering that took place in the temple, and this was called the whole burnt offering. Now, the whole burnt offering was an animal that was very valuable and without defect, that was taken and placed upon the altar, and the entirety of the animal would have been burnt. And it was a very expensive sacrifice. It was not cheap. And the purpose of a whole burnt offering was to signify complete devotion to God. It was to show and and to reveal to God and to all of those around that God gets your very best. He does not get the leftovers. That every part of you is available to God. And so you will bring a whole burnt offering and all of it is consumed, not some of it. And so when the Apostle Paul says that you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, he's saying that you're to bring your whole self All of you, every aspect of your life is surrendered and sacrificed before God. It is given over to him. It is to say to God, God, every part of me you can use. I hold nothing back. You do not get the leftovers of my life. You get the best of my life. The language there, again, is so intentional. Because he says that you are to present your body as a living sacrifice. Which means that this type of life, this type of sacrifice, this living sacrifice is active. You present it. It's the imagery again of carrying this animal and placing it upon the altar. It is taking your life and placing it before God. God, you have all of me. You can use all of me. I'm holding nothing back. You know, one of the many blessings of corporate worship is music, is worshiping God through song. And and one of the ways that it's, it's such a blessing to us as God's people is that it calls for active engagement. It requires our voice, maybe our hands outstretched or clapping, or maybe it requires a little sway. It's active engagement. Something internally is happening, but it is expressed externally. And if you've been around me in a public worship setting, you know I am an expressive worshiper. I dance, I clap, I raise my hands. But, and there's intention here. You see, the way that I like to think about worship through song, through singing and clapping and raising my hands, is that it's a whole burnt offering. It's whole burnt offering worship. 
So when I am singing and when I'm raising my hands and when I'm engaging in that act of worship, I, I want to say, God, here's all of me. In fact, I have, I, I've tried to think about even the movements of my hands being intentional. So when I raise my hands, it's praising God for who he is. It's adoring him. When I open my hands, it's about receiving maybe the words that I'm singing, that it might be true of my heart. Or it might just be symbolically saying, God, I want to give my whole self to you. I want this to be true. It may not be true oftentimes, but I'm opening it up and I'm saying, God, here it is. I'm carrying it before you. I lay it before you. You get the best of me, not the leftovers. You see, God desires not only contemplative inward worship, but he desires practical, real-life, external worship. He, he desires you to present your body. It's not just what takes place in your mind and your heart. He's going to say that in verse 2, that your mind is important. But it's also your body. It's your hands. It's what you physically do. It's your behavior. That this is part of your spiritual worship. That your whole life should be on fire. You can't be on fire internally and mentally and it not come out in your behavior. It comes out in your whole life. You present it and offer it to God as a living sacrifice. Which means that the behavior of your body matters. Did you think about that? These are all aspects of worship. The behavior of your body matters. Meaning, what you do with your body matters. How you treat your body matters. What you consume into your body matters. These are all aspects of your spiritual worship. And also, the accomplishments of your body matter. They matter to God. What you do with your recognition matters to God. How you use your wallet matters to God. Who gets the credit for your success matters to God. You see, your behavior matters. The accomplishments of your, of your body matter to God. And lastly, the perspective of your body matters to God as well. What you believe will satisfy you matters to God. It's an act of worship to have that right. What you hope will bring you peace in the midst of struggle, ultimately what will bring you peace. It's an act of worship. It matters to God. And even how you view your physical body that God has given you matters to God. It's worship. You present your whole life, your whole body, everything that you are, every aspect of who you are, you present it to God as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. You see, our whole self our whole self 
is given over to God. Our worship is whole self-worship. And anything in your life that is not surrendered to God must be sacrificed before him. It must be given over to him. You see, I really believe this, that what causes spiritual rot in your life, what causes you to spiritually just smolder along, is that there are things in your life that you have kept away from God, you have kept for yourself, and you said, God, you don't get this part of me. I know what's best here. I'm going to hold this back. You can have these things, but I'm keeping this over here. Because you don't believe that he is going to give you and provide what is best. We are like the Israelites in the Old Testament. Are wandering the desert. And God brings down manna from heaven, bread from heaven, every day to provide for their needs. And he tells them, you cannot store it. You cannot hoard it. You cannot hold it away. I will provide for you every day. Do not store it. But guess what? We're like the Israelites. We don't believe that God's always going to provide. We don't believe that God always has our best in mind. And so we hold things back. The Israelites who kept that bread overnight, not trusting that God had their best in mind, they woke up in the morning. What did they find? It was rotten. It was rotten. Listen, I want you to hear this. Anything that you hold back from God will rot. God will not allow you to hold things back from him. You can try, but you will find out that it will rot. So relationships that you hold back from God, they will rot. Resources that you hold back from God will rot. Dreams that you hold back from God will rot. Desires that you hold back from God will rot you. Recognition that you keep from God will rot you. Anything that you hold back from God will rot. See, our spiritual worship is giving God our best and trusting that he knows best. That he knows best. You may be thinking, I want to get there. How do I get there? Because that's what living a life on fire means to say, God, you have all of me. You have the best of me. I surrender it all before you. Show me what I've kept and let me bring it before your altar. I'll carry it. It is to present it actively. How do I get there? Live this life on fire. Verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, there are, two, there are two patterns in the world. There's the pattern of the world, and then there's the pattern of God. There's the will of the world, and then there's the will of God. And these patterns are competing. The patterns of the world are competing with the patterns of God. And they have different desires. Again, the language is intentional. The Apostle Paul says that the desire of the world is to conform you. Now, what does it mean to conform someone? It is to, from the outside, put pressure to internally change and form that person. It is, to conform is outside in. It is 
external pressure that over time hopefully will produce internal change. And so the world comes to you and me and says, hey, here's what's good, here's what's acceptable, here's what's perfect, and pressures and pressures and pushes and pushes upon you until you conform as slowly over time your heart and your soul and your mind internally is formed alongside of its concept of good and acceptable and perfect. But the pattern of God is different. The will of God transforms. And transformation is inside out. Transformation happens internally. It happens internally and it produces over time external change. It happens inside and it comes out. You see, what God does is he comes to us and he transforms us internally. Our heart, our mind, our desires. And he, in fact, frees us from the pressure of the world that wants to conform us. And over time, the transformation that takes place in our heart and in our mind, it will begin to f- affect our external behavior so that we might present our bodies as living sacrifice to God so we might see that God's will is, in fact, good and acceptable and perfect and not fall prey to the pressure and patterns of the world. We are transformed people, not conformed people. Transformed. The Apostle Paul tells us, how do you live transformed? What does that look like? Well, it's to have a renewing of your mind. He says it's by the renewal of your mind. So what does a renewing mind look like? Three very practical things. Write these down, put these in your phone, To have a renewing mind means first to be governed by gratitude. Governed by gratitude. Notice at the very beginning in verse 1, he says that the, the very reason that we should live lives on fire and present our bodies as a living sacrifice, the motivation is because of the mercies of God. Not the mercy, but the mercies of God. It's not mercy in a general sense. It's the very specific mercies of God to you. That means that a renewing mind is considering all of the mercies of God, everything that God has done for you, his free mercy and compassion on your life, all of the things. So a renewing mind is considering these things and thinking about these things so that their mind might be reoriented around gratitude to God. Instead of forgetfulness of who God is and what he's done. And the mercies of God leads you not only consider what God has done in your life in very specific ways, but it pulls you all the way back to the mercy of the cross. That no sin offering is required of you or me because Christ was the sin offering for us. Your life is now beginning to be governed by gratitude for God and who he is. Spend time recalling the mercies of God in your life. So you might be governed by gratitude. Secondly, a mind that is renewing, the renewal of the mind, someone that is thinking true thoughts. Thinking true thoughts. When when the Apostle Paul says in verse 1 that the presenting of our bodies is living sacrifice, 
is spiritual worship. That word spiritual in the Greek is also used to mean logical in other places. Isn't that interesting? It's also logical worship, which means that whenever you are out of accord with God's will and you believe that something else is good or something else is perfect or something else is acceptable because the world has started to conform you and you've started to follow the patterns of the world, you are not thinking clearly. You have bought into lies and you're not thinking clearly or even logically because the only logical response to a God who is so merciful that we cannot even fathom, who is so good and so loving, the only logical response is to offer our whole life to him. It's the only thing that makes sense. To seek to follow his will as good and perfect and acceptable. That is to think clearly. That is to think true thoughts. And so when you are not, you need to go back And to think, am I thinking true thoughts? Or have I started to be conformed by external pressure to think about and hold to lies as truth? And then third is that your imagination is captured by Christ. A mind that is renewing, it's imagination captured by Christ that you spend time daily meditating on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You see, we don't have to physically go to the temple to give a whole burnt offering. Praise God. But we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. And one of the great gifts that's given to us is that we have unbound prayer We don't have to go to a specific place to pray. You could pray right now. Wherever you are, at any time, at any moment, God is accessible to you. And we have have the accessibility of God's word. Do you know where God's word is? It's obviously in the physical Bible that you have at home. It's also in your phone. It's in your pocket. God's word is in your pocket every single day. We have a great gift by God to come to him in prayer at any moment, to read his word at any moment. And we're called to have our imagination captured with Christ. We have to be intentional. Our spiritual worship, living a life on fire is living a life of intention. Coming before God, meditating on who Christ is and being captured by him. You see, Seeking the renewal of your mind by wanting to see your life governed by gratitude and thinking true thoughts and having your imagination captured by Christ. Seeking this renewal of your mind is what leads you. It's what leads you to living on fire. It leads you to living on fire by presenting your whole self before God. Because it starts with your mind being renewed. And then it transitions from there to your life being realigned. And your worship being refocused. You see, we worship what we evaluate. 
That's why the Apostle Paul says, by the renewing of your mind, you're going to be able to discern what God's will is, his good and acceptable and perfect will. Evaluate who God is and what you will find time and time again is that God's mercy is unimaginable. That you should live a life of gratitude. That you need to think true thoughts because the only illogical response to evaluating God is to give him everything because he is the one of supreme value. And have your mind captured by Christ. This, he says, is holy and acceptable. The better translation, I think, is pleasing. Holy and pleasing worship. Spiritual worship. So I want to close with that part of these two verses. This, all of these things we said, when you present your whole life to God, when you live your life on fire by a renewing of your mind that affects how you live, you offer everything, you hold nothing back, God gets the best of you. You surrender and you sacrifice before him that it's holy and pleasing to God. You see, holy is the quality of life that you're seeking. It is a a set-apart life. It is a, a pure life that is following after God's will and not the will of the world. But pleasing is the result of living a holy life. When you seek to live a holy life by living life on fire and giving everything over to God, it pleases God. It pleases him. Dallas Willard has a great quote I've used many times. I encourage you to memorize it. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see, God's grace that we have received, it is not opposed to our effort because effort is an action. And we've just been reading about the actions that we are to live out of being on fire for Christ. It's not afraid of action. In fact, the effort and the actions we take are pleasing to God when we seek to live a holy life. But grace is opposed to earning, and earning is an attitude. Earning is when you're not living out of freedom, you're living out of fear. It's because you you haven't seen God for who he is. You, You don't understand God's grace, and you think you need to earn. No, you don't. But you're called to show effort. Earning is not pleasing to God, but effort is. I want to close with an illustration that I've heard before. I don't know if you've um, played baseball. I played baseball growing up in Little League, and uh, I loved it. One of my favorite moments on the baseball field was when you're, at, when you're up to bat. But there's a lot of things that happen when you're up to bat. You stand there in the batter's box, and you're looking at the, pitch, the pitcher, and you know that there's multiple types of pitches that can be thrown. There's a fastball, a changeup that is an off-speed pitch that makes you swing early and everybody laughs, or a curveball or a slider. So you're sitting there and you're trying to think what pitch is going to be thrown. And the safest play, in fact, the best thing that you can do is you can connect and hit a home run because you're guaranteed to score and everybody else on base will also score. But it's not easy to do. And one of the other things you have to consider when you're up to bat is that everyone's eyes are on you. Every single person there is looking at you. But when you're a child, 
there's one, eye, there's one set of eyes that you're really concerned with. It's your father's eyes. Your father who may be encouraging you and, and challenging you and saying, focus, pay attention, is working with you to swing. And you want to hit a home run for your father. But listen, if you're standing there in the batting box and you know that your father, if you don't hit a home run, is going to be disappointed, it's going to give you the cold shoulder after, maybe not talk to you for a few days, and while you're up there, you're not only thinking about all the, pit, the pitch and all the effort that you're going to have to put in to hit a home run, but you're also living in fear because you're afraid of disappointing your father. It actually affects your ability to, to put forth your best effort to hit a home run. But if you step up to bat and you know that your dad loves you, and you know that no matter what happens, you're going for ice cream later. No matter what happens, you're going to get ice cream later. Your dad's going to hug you. He's going to tell you he's proud of you. He's going to tell you that he loves you. Well, guess what? You step up to that batting rink. Or you step up to that batting square and you are full of freedom. Now you can just concentrate on the effort that you have to put in. And you know that if you hit a home run, it's going to please your father. But you also know that your father loves you even if you strike out. You see, this is what it means to present your whole life to God. To live your life on fire as a sacrifice, giving him your best. You don't do it out of fear that God's going to be disappointed. He's not. He loves you. He's going to tell you that he's proud of you. It's okay to put forth effort. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to earn his love. No. You already have his love. So you can put forth the effort by the renewing of your mind in light of his great mercy and love for you, you can present your whole self to him. Church, I pray that that is how you engage this week, tonight, how you live out your faith on fire in freedom. God, you love me. I want to hit a home run. I want to please you. But I know that you love me. Even if I strike out a few times. Therefore, in light of God's great mercy, present your whole life as a living sacrifice to God. It's holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do this by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed so you might follow God's will. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you that you're a father that loves us that you smile at us. That you will not take your love from us. No. You're proud of us. Would we, as your people, as your children, would we go forth with the only logical worship, which is to give everything to you, to surrender all that we are and all that we have before you, what, through the renewing of our mind, will be governed by gratitude, thinking true thoughts captured by you, Christ. Would you help each and every one of us to consider the part of our life that we're holding back from you? 
that's rotting. And even now, would we surrender it to you? We live that life, God, seeking to please you by living a holy life, motivated by your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.